What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Live and in color on the Pride of Detroit POD cast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook, and live now on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit is where you find us for all the best Detroit Lions talk anywhere this side of Jupiter, Mars, planets, classical planets, the sun, maybe there's another side to the sun. You don't know about it. It's called it's called the dark side of the sun. It's where all the aliens, they put all the aliens. I'm Christopher what the dark side you're, you're doing you are doing the thing i hate jeremy reisman fearless leader at detroit online you're like when bill belichick gets up there and goes i don't know anything about snap face or insta chat or twitscape or any of that it's like you totally know what what it is you know about dark side of the moon of course you're I not mean. that you're i went not to college much. <laughs> yeah you went to college yes you know about dark side of the moon that's right you know about dark side of the moon and led zeppelin and uh <laughs> what else that that's a great list cast you off screen like top five signs of being in co- a college male um i'm chris perfett the adequate host at chris perfett on twitter and now the third man drum roll please ryan matthews Back is the motherfucking rock guy. at ryan underscore pod ryan stealing everyone's uh catchphrases at the end of the show except for mine i tried to let him but he has too much respect for me yeah, so I, I've stolen one catchphrase thus far. You're on warning. Yeah. You're on notice. What was the song we used to use for Mancer? Um, it was a tra- it was a Travis Scott song. Yeah, it was Goosebumps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to sing that now, or are you just going to abstain? No, that's been retired. Okay. Retired to the rafters. Not retired, though, as Detroit Lions, who were retired, however, on the scorecard by the Buffalo Bills, 16 to 13 in the preseason game. Uh, I think at some point we'll talk about the clock management. It's clear Dan Campbell is not J- John Harbaugh. He's not out here to win preseason games, and that's fine. These don't go in the scorebook. These don't go in the standings. They don't. And no. I don't care that they lost. I, I, I care about some other things that happened in that game, some of them good, some of them bad, but the fact that they lost on the scoreboard does not matter to me. The fact that I mean, let's just get into it. For, yeah, yeah. Rip we, the bandaid off. off. Let's go. Let, let's go. Let's brought it off. It, a lot of people have problems with Dan Campbell's clock management in the final drive Lions had. Not the 13 second one, which if you're watching on NFL Network, you didn't get to see it because they cut away. As soon as that Bills kicker kicked the field goal, they cut right away so you could see the Cowboys backup squirm against the Cardinals. But no, on that drive before where you have David Blau under center, There was some fans who I think were squeamish about the fact that Dan Campbell didn't run down the clock before kicking the field goal, Jeremy. Yeah, and I don't like, first of all, I'm like, I'm a time management Nazi. And if that had happened in a real game, I don't even think I would have been upset. Like, he's trying to throw for first downs and end the game, technically. Like, that, uh, you could have run the ball twice, bleeded one more time out from the Bills and bleed another 40 seconds and, and whatever. Um, so then the Bills would have gotten the ball with like a minute 20 instead of, you know, two minutes or, you know, a minute left or whatever. Turns out, even if you did have an issue with it, even if I had an issue with it, it's all a waste of energy because Dan Campbell came out today on Monday and said, listen, Blau was rolling. We just wanted to give him some some red zone reps. See, see if he can get a touchdown. He needs those, that he needs those reps. He needs red zone. Red zone is tough. And so you don't get a lot of opportunities to practice that in practice. You almost never get to practice it, um, you know, on against an opponent. And then you also get a two-minute drill on defense, which is another situational thing that, that's hard to set up in practice. So 
So when Dan Campbell actually admitted that he would have milked the clock in a game situation, that actually made me a little more scared because I would have loved to see him be aggressive there in in a real game because you put I mean, you put the game away with the first down. So just running the clock kind of puts more onus on your defense. And we saw how that went last year. So I don't know. It, it, the whole thing's a big mess in, in terms of fans getting upset about something that's not worth getting upset about. Um, but, you know, that's that we're back, baby. Like that, that's a sign that football's back is we're getting upset about stupid things. Yeah. Well, man. I think Detroit fans also got charged up because they were getting upset over a summer league game too. Right, Ryan? Yeah. I, here's the thing. Yeah. Nature's healing, right? Because we didn't yeah. get an opportunity to complain about preseason games a year ago, which another preseason with Matt Patricia under, no, under the, let's, yeah, let's, under the, hell, hell, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Anyways, um, <laughs> I think Jeremy laid it out exactly how I kind of felt about it in, in terms that like the preseason is an opportunity to get situational. It's an opportunity to to do things uh, situationally that you don't normally get a chance to like, I mean, how many times has, has David Blah been in that situation with, you know, uh, you know, red zone opportunity against a opponent. I mean, who knows if he'll ever get another chance to, but it's good to get those reps in the preseason. So um, I have no problem with how Dan Campbell handled this. Wins and losses don't matter in the preseason, but getting prepared to handle situations in real games, that does matter. It does. And I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about Blau here, and I think good place to start as we empty our notebook is talking about the quarterbacks. Jeremy's favorite topic, but really, I do think we have some notes. Uh, I want to get to Jared Goff in a second on how he looked on, like, what, the first quarter that we saw of him which was like all of one drive, but then, and also that drive that he put together, which we'll talk about in a second. But I do want to start with Boyle versus Blau, because I think I said last week I liked Boyle more. Blau, I thought, definitely balled out better at the end of the game, although the difference was Boyle versus second string, Blau versus third. And I think Boyle early on, like, dude, he got his leg rolled, and that was kind of hard to deal with. But I thought that Boyle, you know, he has a cannon of an arm, but it's not exactly hyper accurate. He made like, what, eight of 15 throws. They were definitely working him more to see what he could give you through the air. And he loved finding Tom Kennedy. He loved finding Tom Kennedy out there. And that seemed to work fairly well. But I mean, look, David Blau had a much better series, I thought, late in, late in the game situation. It's going to be interesting to see which one of these two that the Lions carry into the season if they don't carry all three. Yeah, I, I do think the battle is is a little bit closer than than some seem to be suggesting because, yeah, I mean, Tim Boyle came in as as, a, as the odds on favorite and he has that cannon of an arm, which tends to draw a lot of eyes in training camp in the preseason. And I thought he had the best pass of the night when he threw one to Tom Kennedy. Kennedy actually dropped, but it was it was just a bullet and and, you know, uh, kind of just fit it in a really tight window. But then we come out today at practice and Tim Boyle's not there. And so hmm. that's that complicates things a little bit. I mean, I don't know how serious the injury is. We'll, we'll probably figure that out soon. But we saw it happen, right? We saw his ankle right. get rolled. We saw him show show. I'm sure he impressed the, the the coaching staff by staying out there. Didn't even miss a single play. Came out for another drive after that. So it wasn't just like he was hopped up on, you know, adrenaline. So, um, you know, they both did things that I like and things that I don't like. I, I think Boyle was a little more careless with the football and you don't like to see that out of your backup. Blau is just kind of boring a little bit in, in the way that he plays the game. Like there's nothing spectacular about anything he does. But then again, he threw a 30 some yard bomb to Javon McKinley too. So um, big plays from both of them, things that I liked, but also a lot of things I don't like. And they weren't getting help from their offensive line, either of them. So um, no, no, Tim Boyle had his pocket collapsing on him pretty quick. I mean, and same with same with, same Blau. with Blau. I mean, same with Blau. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's dealing with a lot of the same guys out there, and, and obviously took a sack to end, to end the game there as well. So, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's pretty even. I still probably give the edge to Boyle, but I, I think they carry both. I, I think they carry both, and we talked about this before, right? Um, when we were talking about the quarterback position in terms of all of the context of the season, right? I mean, you have Jared Goff. Uh, you have you know the potential of any like you know, COVID outbreaks or things like that within your team. So keeping three quarterbacks seems to be the move. I, I want to say this, like, I think that there is something that you want 
in a backup quarterback in terms of having just a safety guy. And I think that's what David Blau check all the boxes for. Like he's a guy who can come in and like he won't he won't necessarily win you a game, but I don't think he'll do too much stuff to lose you the game in almost like game management, just an accurate passer who's going to make like the sure throw. Tim Boyle is to football what Jose Valverde was to the Detroit Tigers when he was a closer. Like and not the like good Jose Valverde, but like the roller coaster Jose Valverde, where it was like, don't know where this pitch is going to go. It might go to the backstop or it might be, you know, a 94 mile per hour strike with some movement like <laughs> Tim Boyle, okay. Tim Boyle. Like it was the very first pass, like the very first pass encapsulated what Jeremy has been saying about Tim Boyle all camp. Like the guy has a rocket. The ball literally zipped out of his arm, but it was like four feet behind receiver and above him. Like I, I like Tim Boyle. I don't think he's going to challenge Jared Goff for the starting job. Yeah, no, that's not. No, no. (laughs) Speaking of Jared Goff, what did you guys think on his thing? I don't think like he, he didn't throw very far downfield, which is totally fine because I don't think, I think the one time I did see Jared Goff throw pretty far, it turned into a duck almost immediately, but I don't think he had trouble getting the ball out necessarily. I thought, you know, if you were expecting, if you were looking for whether or not you were going to have doom and gloom Jared Goff or you were going to have just okay Jared Goff, I think you got the latter. Now, again, granted, it's preseason. So I don't, I don't remember how many starters Buffalo was playing, but I don't think Goff had a, if you were looking for the apocalyptic scenario for Jared Goff, I don't think it appeared in preseason game one. It didn't, but it flashed at the very beginning. It flashed <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, he, he, literally the first pass of the game is almost intercepted. Two plays later, he gets sacked and you're just like, oh, my God, is this offense just going to be total shit without Matthew Stafford, without the wide receiving core, without, you know, whoever, Daryl Bevel. And then they come back in the second drive of the game and, and look, I'll say it good. Like, I, I know you don't want. 18 play drives that you know you're getting four yards per play and just barely getting first downs but golf looked in command he made a couple downfield throws he made a good throw a couple good throws to tyrell williams he got he found amonara st brown open a couple times and his best pass was a nine yard pass to darren fells which he kind of slipped it right into a small window there so that was the one that started to wobble a little bit near the end that was a bit of a duck was it but it it got home it got there it got got there there. i don't care how it looks if it gets there i'm fine with it and so i don't know like i i came away more impressed with jared goff in that preseason game than i have in in training camp um I, i i'd still i still want to see kind of a more aggressive style offense but i think i think we're just not going to get it. And I think given that golf had no help from a run game, which, which is something we're, we're more than familiar with here in Detroit. I thought he, he weathered the storm pretty, pretty darn well. Yeah. And I, I think to the point that I'm excited to see what Jared Goff can do in his top two offensive weapons around the field. I mean, let's not forget that he was without TJ Hawkinson. He was yep. without Deandre mm-hmm. Swift. Um, so I, I'm excited to see that. I'll, I'll echo a lot of the sentiment that Jeremy had. I thought the throw to Tyrell Williams on the sideline was one of his best throws because it it really tells you who Jared Goff is in the sense that like he knows where to put the ball. Maybe he can't always yep. get it to where he wants it to be, but like he knows where he should put it. And that was one of those examples where he knew where he should put it, and he he ended up getting there too. The I, I thought what was interesting, and I'm not trying to be a homer or you know show you a gif or a replay and break it down about where the pass interference was but like tyrell williams definitely got grabbed and he got pulled jared goff could have made a better throw and i think that's an example of like jared goff knew where he needed to put it he just couldn't get it there um but there was a little bit of pass interference on that too i i I know we talked about this on saturday jeremy but like i really would have liked to see that long drive that almost 10 minute 18 play 70 yard drive turn into seven instead of three. Yep. But, you know, he'll he'll get another opportunity to do that, hopefully, in preseason game two. Real quick, I just want to, what do you guys think in terms of the next game? I know Tim Boyle dealing with the potential, like, injury. Do you think that Blau is going to get an opportunity with the twos and Boyle might get the run with the threes or what? I think that's possible. I think that's, I think that's not only possible, I think that's probably advisable. Um you know, and quarterbacks, it's especially it's in that deep, in that deep in the roster, you want to see what your quarterbacks are with 
the twos or the threes. You don't want to henpeck one with just the threes. I think it's I think it's very probable. I think it's advisable. You just switch them both up for game two. And I mean, you, you just follow the, the pattern at practice like they they literally switch every day. Who's going to be mm-hmm. the run with twos? Who's going to run with threes? And so I think I think you run with the exact same pattern in the games. And like you said, maybe maybe the injury to to boil just means Blau gets the entire final three quarters. But if not, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Blau take quarters two and three and, and Boyle take quarter four. I want to talk next segment about reactions and overreactions, but I think since we started with one reaction and since we're on the offense and since we were talking about Jared Goff, um, this overreaction of people freaking out because Gregory Russo beat Panay Sewell off a block is so exhausting. It's so exhausting listening to people freak out about about Sewell getting beat on like one assignment while he's also trying to pick up a guy inside too. Like what what are we doing here? Um, I mean this is yeah. this is what the preseason is though. You, you get yeah. your first we 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 may have forgotten about this since there wasn't a preseason last year, but it's it's rookies going up against I mean in this case it's a rookie versus going against a rookie. So it's going to get clipped. It's going to be thrown on Twitter. It's going to get a million retweets. It's going to it's going to cause overreactions and underreactions and whatever you want. It, it was a bad rep by by Sewell. I know a lot of Lions fans are going to be quick to point out that, you know, Halapuli Vati Vaitai may have been the one that was actually, you know, should have been credited with allowing the sack. But let's be honest, like it wasn't a good rep by Sewell, but it was also basically his first pass protecting block of the game. And then the rest of the way, you know, I broke down all 22 of his snaps on the website. Rest of the game, he settled in incredibly well. About three or four plays later on the second drive, Pancake the dude on a on a third and one to get help get the guys the first down. Pass protection was really not a problem for the rest of the game outside of the, his very last snap in which he just for whatever reason got off the the snap really late. He actually had a really decent start and and sure he's not going against a lot of starters, but um, you know he turned around Ed Oliver on one play on, on a running play. I thought as a run blocker he looks fantastic. Pass blocker there's some work to do, but dude hasn't played a competitive football snap in two years. Chill out, everybody. Yeah, he, there's going to be some rust. Yeah, it's fine. Vitae, my eyes are on you, brother. <laughs> that, I, I mean, but he, the, in, in all honesty, I think that's like the weak link in the chain. And I know that, that we're really super excited for this offensive line to be, you know, roaring out of the gate and it's going to be balls to the wall and they're going to be, you know, road maulers. They're going to open up holes for running backs. They're going to give Jared Goff a ton of time, which, hey, I mean, I'm not going to try to read too much in Jared Goff's like, you know, postgame comments, but saying that your offensive line was protecting their nuts off seems like, hey, I haven't had this kind of protection in some time. Um, And and uh, but I I am I'm I'm concerned about Vitae. Like I, I legitimately am. We'll see. The thing I mean, I think. It's only natural, and I probably came out of the game feeling this way too. It's just like, wow, we we we've been touting this offensive line all off season, and they go out and and you know Jamal Williams runs for one point nine yards per carry or whatever it was, and was hit on seven of nine of his rushes at the line of scrimmage. You're like, what the hell's going on? The further I dig deep into into that, you know, film though, a lot of tight ends didn't block particularly well. Wide receivers did not block particularly well and and those are reasons to be concerned like that's maybe an underrated part of the game of, of a guy like marvin jones and and even a little bit of kenny galladay is like these are big physical guys that weren't afraid to to you know put their shoulder into you and uh you got a guy like khalif raymond who's half of kenny galladay's size essentially it's not gonna work the same so i i'm still i'm still optimistic about the offensive line in general um, Vitae, you know, he didn't have a particularly horrible game. I think, I think he kind of suffered from the same thing that Sewell did, which is like we all hyper focused on one highlight and kind of assumed he was horrible the entire game. He wasn't. Um, I, I, I do think the offensive line in general was a lot better than than people gave it credit for on on Friday night, and uh, I'm still I'm still feeling pretty good about that. And unit. we know we know offensive lines need time to gel too. And you've got a whole you've got a new right tackle on there yeah. who's very young, very eager, very talented but needs time to gel in there. And you've got Vitae, who's coming off of injury, who didn't really get a lot of time last year to, to play with some of these guys. So we'll see. 
Uh, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep going down the roster, more overreactions, underreactions. And I think the next place to take our panic and calm on and off hot cold is to the wide receiver core, including one who might have just christened himself Sun God. But maybe we're overreacting. But guess what? It's Kool-Aid season. So I want to overreact a little bit. And then I'll let Jeremy throw some a wet blanket on it and then talk about more. Ra- no, no. He's shaking his head. No. Is it no. Sun God season? It's Sun God season. Yeah! <laughs> That's what I'd like to hear. That's what we're going to talk about next on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Uh, we teased it before the break. We're going to pay it off right now. It's sun god season here in Detroit. Uh, I've fallen into a lot of traps of preseason hype before. I am being cautious and hedging myself out there. And maybe it's the lack of receivers that we have here. And maybe it's that we didn't see TJ Hawkinson out there. Maybe he comes back and filches a bunch from from that's Jared Goff's new target or whatever. But Jeremy, uh, I've been trying to tell you since they drafted him out of USC, Amon Ross St. Brown is not just there to compete with Quintez Cephas. He's there to be a damn amazing receiver. Listen, from, from the moment training camp started, this dude just popped. It, it, it's his attitude. It's his swagger. It's his route running. It's his ability to catch the ball. And sure, We've we've been fooled before in training camp, and sometimes you forget that these wide receivers are also going up against these this team's cornerbacks, and this is a cornerback room that's very unproven and still trying to figure out who they have at nickel corner. And so he's going up against, you know, Mike Ford, who lines still aren't sure whether he's a nickel corner or an outside corner, and he's going up against some of the guys deeper on, on the depth chart as well. So beating those guys is something he should be doing, but the Lions knew they had something special from this guy from the get-go because he was the starting slot receiver from day one. And they have some guys that can do it. They have a Khalif and They have, you know, Victor Bolden and, and, and even Quintus Cephas and all that sort of stuff. They knew this guy was special from day one, and he continues to prove it. He had a great preseason. I know we've talked about it a couple times. Only has two catches on the record, but he had a 13-yard gain um, that they got nullified by a penalty. I know you said you're being cautious, Chris, but I'm saying throw that caution to the wind. Get excited. <laughs> this dude is for real. And whether he shows it this year or next year or the following year, it's going to happen. This dude has an attitude. He has skills. I, I threw out the Heinz Ward comparison during training camp, and I know comparing someone to a future Hall of Famer is not is, is bad 
it's bad juju it it's it's amateur hour but in terms of the attitude in terms of the skill set everything matches up if he can if he reaches his full potential i think that is the guy you circle as as his full potential i think a lot of people are doing the golden tate comparison too in that you can play him in both the corner and the outside i mean in the slot yeah. and in the outside and he's got that versatility yeah 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 i just i, I mean that. you you can play him in the slot you can play him outside you can also play him as a split back like he did in the preseason game. That was the play mm-hmm. where he got his 13 uh, yard catch revoked because Frank Rag now got a penalty, which is bizarre. But it was bad yeah, I, I, I'm 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 pretty hyped up about Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, and I t- to be honest, I think that he's I mean, if he's not wide receiver one, which we all think that is Tyrell Williams, probably because of his skill set and where he plays outside. Like, I think that he's like wide receiver number two, like in terms of like targets of receivers, like you're talking about the guy who's probably going to get the lion's share. Um, he, I would say he would compete with Tyrell Williams for targets this year. It's just funny because I remember when we drafted him and I was talking to plenty, plenty of people, including some maybe who are heroes like, I don't know, Quintus Cephas does the same job. This guy is beyond what Cephas can do. They're this is a versatile different players. He's showing it to you out there. I'm, as you say, man, it's his attitude and everything. I, I, I'm, I'm being cautious because I'm really wanting to buy his jersey. That's the only reason I'm cautious is because as long as Jeremy doesn't buy it, I've got, yeah, look, I, I've got bit by Amir Abdullah before. Maybe that's why I'm cautious here, but there was no, there was no downside to the way he played on Friday. And we'll just see how it goes going forward. Speaking of downside of how wide receivers played on Friday, Victor Bolden. I mean, that's, that's a guy who's going there. <laughs> he, he's, he's, he seems like a guy who's going to make the roster by virtue of there not being really anybody better to to keep over him in terms of players who like have have you know shined or whatnot. I mean, we're only through one preseason game, but like all throughout training camp all the way leading up to preseason game one, like Victor Bolden was viewed as like he's this guy who's um, you know, he can do kick return, punt return. He can, you know, play some receiver in a pinch. You talk about versatility with Amon Ross St. Brown. Like, you know, Victor Bolden isn't necessarily a slot only guy, but man, just had a really rough preseason one game where like, I think a guy who came in like Tom Kennedy and did his darndest to catch everything that was thrown in front of him. Like, I- I'm not saying that I'm totally off the Victor Bolden bandwagon, but I, I think that there's, some competition at the bottom of the depth chart for wide receiver. Yeah, I, I can't imagine someone d- making a worse case for themselves than than Victor Bolden did on on Friday night. And the reason why yeah. I think you're right into being a little bit cautious is that that sort of stuff didn't really show up in camp. He he showed up as a guy who who really is cap- not great, but capable in a lot of things. And so to see him fail kind of spectacularly on, on, on when the lights are on is, is bad. But I don't know if it's necessarily emblematic of who he is as a person. But, you know, like like Dan Campbell says, like it matters. It's a red flag if you can't do it when the lights are on, you know, in a stadium filled with people against another team. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll see if that continues, especially especially when, it, as Ryan mentioned, it, Tom Kennedy had a fantastic night out there. Uh, there's a lot of competition for this thing. Javon McKinley is showing you why they paid him one hundred thousand dollars as an undrafted free agent. Like you, those two, those two showed up when the lights were on. Bolden didn't. Yeah. And and the one other thing I want to mention to Jeremy's point about Dan Campbell saying, you know, we're going to separate like who can do it when the lights are on and who can just do it in training camp. The other thing is there's a clear emphasis. I know there wasn't last regime when it came to special teams, but there's a clear emphasis on being able, if you're at the bottom of the depth chart, you got to bring that special teams versatility. And when you're muffin, when you're muffin kicks, not great. Not great, Victor yeah. Bolden. I'm just I'm interested in seeing how this wide receiver room is going to look next preseason game because we were missing a lot of guys in this one. You know, no Rashad mm-hmm. Perriman, no Quintus Cephas, no Damian Ratley. All those guys looked like they're returning to practice very soon. Basically, everyone but Ratley practiced today on Monday. So we might we might get to see more of them, which means well, some of these guys are going to get pushed further down the depth chart, which means some of them won't have as many opportunities. But um, it, it should be interesting to see how it all kind of plays out. Do you think Tom Kennedy is going to keep getting those? Like he was the big name, I think, from people who stuck around and watched more of this game. I kind of joke that he was wide receiver three. I don't necessarily believe that, but no, he looked he looked very good out there, though. 
He 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 was the, just, one of the big winners from from preseason game one. But you wonder how much like if he can keep doing that. I don't think we're going to keep getting a whole preseason of that from Tom Kennedy. It, he's just he's that wide receiver in the second half that pops off every preseason, every offseason. He, he's the Jace Billingsley. He, I mean, he, he's basically himself of, of the previous years. Like, this isn't new for him. He he looks good in training camp, too, but he's going against twos and threes and fours. And so you just it's hard to separate fact from fiction with him, um, whether he can make it. I mean, he's not unless there's a, a, a ton of injuries this year. He's not going to factor in to the offense. He just isn't. But he has return abilities. He's he's playing well in the slot against those twos and threes and fours. And so he's going to get he's he's going to continue to rack up yards in the preseason. And, and I think we're going to continue to have this conversation. And considering the Lions wide receiver depth is so thin, maybe a guy like him actually slips onto it. But to me, I just don't see what he brings that that can really bring something new or interesting or or talented to a, a Lions top three or four guys that, that, that can do everything that he can do a bit better. Ryan, can Javon McKinley do that though? Or I don't you know. Not, you're not on board with Javon either. That's the thing about this roster is that there's so many question marks. Like, I, I, all of us had Brashad Perryman penciled in as wide receiver number two, but like he's honestly wide receiver question mark to me. I, I, I don't know where he stands. Like, I mean, this is a guy who's hardly participated at all. And I mean, missed preseason game one, like getting preseason game two is going to be huge for him. And I'm not saying he's necessarily at risk of not making the team, but I mean, at least you have these other guys who are stepping up and playing like Javon McKinley and Tom Kennedy and things like that. And uh, I mean, come on, greatest ability, folks. Availability. Thank you. Uh, Is there another position we want to talk about? I want to save defense for the last segment. Um, Obviously, no. What's up? Let's just go into tight ends here because things. Okay. Things are. I was going to say no TJ Hawkinson, but yeah, there's no depth after Hawkinson. I feel like. Well, Fells is locked in. He's he's a good blocker, and he's going to fill that role, and that's easy. And he was doing it pretty well during the preseason game as well. But there's just no like we've been waiting all preseason, all training camp for someone amongst the depth to stand up there and no one has done it. It was a dreadful day on Friday in terms of their blocking. And then news comes down today that Charlie Tamopeo, who who maybe was the youngest, but the one that showed the most promise gets in a drunk driving driving accident. Thanks. Or I should say driving allegedly intoxicated while driving. Don't know if it's drunk. Um, Alex Brown, former cornerback, because he got cut immediately after he was arrested, essentially. Um, gets in a car accident. Charlie Tomopeo apparently broken ribs, hurt yeah, his gets on the neck. What was it? Gets on the freeway driving the op- the wrong way. The wrong way. Yeah. Just really stupid situation from from Alex Brown. I don't know how much Charlie is to blame as well, but either way, both guys lost out on their opportunities to play this year. And uh, you have to imagine neither neither guy will play. Alex Brown is probably in a in a boatload of legal trouble. Charlie's going to have some serious rehab with broken bones, and it's just. You hate to see a, a camp battle play out that way. And now, I mean, I, I know thinking about something like this in, in terms of what it means for football can be crude at times because this is serious and, and dangerous and unacceptable. And so, you know, Alex Brown doesn't deserve another chance on this team again. I don't know what to think of, of Charlie's, you know, what what his role in it other than sitting in a car was. So hard hard to throw blame there at all but it's just it's a really stupid shitty situation and you know i like i said I, it, it feels crude to talk about the football impact of it but at the same time like it's just compounding on a problem that that the lines were having at tight end uh the the only thing i have to say about this is it is kind of reminiscent of early on in bob quinn's tenure when he signed Andrew Corliss <laughs> and that it, not not the sense that it, it it's it's like a similar playing of events but it's one of those things where it's like it's going to be something that people are going to talk about for a little bit and it's going to end up being kind of like a, a tucked away footnote um, because th- I mean there's absolutely no room for what Alex Brown did like I I'm all for second chances but that guy clearly has a lot of issues that he has to deal with in order to get behind the wheel of a car and, and make the decisions that he made. 
I mean, I'm I'm he he doesn't he doesn't deserve a second chance. Uh, obviously with this football team, but I mean, he's got a lot of work that he needs to do himself. To yeah, I uh, yeah. yeah you you can you can get a second chance. It doesn't need to be in football. Right. Again, it doesn't need to be yeah. with the Detroit Lions. Um, getting us back to the roster and away from that, I agree with everything you guys say. I just have nothing else to add to it. It's Again, sometimes you do have to take the football side from what happened just because it's what <clears throat> it's our purpose here to talk about football. So uh, I'm not. I, I just have nothing else to add when it comes to the running backs. Like Dedrick Mills, I felt did decent for himself, but. I don't I mean, know if that pushes him. It does that. I, Jeremy, we've we've felt like running backs one to three have been locked in, and it feels like they're going to stick with Jamar Jefferson. And I feel like to cast doubt on Jamar Jefferson after one one preseason game doesn't feel like it's not fair for sure. And, and we, I mean, we didn't talk about it, but the second uh, we did talk about it a little bit, the second team offensive line is garbage. It, it almost it's destroyed awful. our backup quarterback. No, there is no depth to this offensive line. Right. You better so, hope your you better hope your your starters all stay healthy this year. If you're hoping right. for the Lions, if you're of the mind that you want the Lions to win, you want all that entire offensive line to stay healthy because the cavalry is not good. But but in terms of how it affects the running game, like obviously Jamar Jefferson didn't get the best run blocking, but you could argue that Dedrick Mills or you know superstar in the making Craig Reynolds, who just <laughs> comes comes to the team in 24 hours and and says hi to his teammates in the huddle. Uh, he introduces himself in the huddle and then goes out and has himself a ball game. Like I, I don't think the RB three spot is open for competition yet, but if Diedrich Mills and Craig Reynolds continue to show stuff in preseason games, and again, third and fourth stringers are going up against that. That can't be understated enough. Or, or Jamar Jefferson's enough, going up those say. guys too. Yeah, well, he went, he went more against twos and threes than threes and fours. Okay. But either, yeah. either way, like, I mean, you can't deny that Craig Reynolds play was great. You can't deny yes. that Dedrick Mills run on fourth and one was great. Like those were good individual plays that and, and like guys on 90 man rosters are not all scrubs. They're, they're, there's definitely a talent drop off, but these are football players. So um, I don't I don't think the RB three competition is open yet, but I don't think it's closed yet completely either. This this pendulum, this pendulum not only swings back and forth, but it, it swings always because Yes, Craig Reynolds and Diedrich Mills were playing against the threes and fours, but they were also running behind the second line. Yeah, like third like, line. Yeah, yep. No, sec- second and third offensive linemen. I just good. thought I just thought mechanically watching them cut, watching them with their their watching trying to read what their vision was the field. They just look better than Jamar Jefferson. And yeah, I don't think it's time to panic and slam a button to drop Jermar Jefferson through the hole in the floor to eject him or whatever. But I think if you're looking for any kind of storyline going into preseason games two and three, it's going to be to see how Jermar Jefferson steps up. Sure. And, and we also, you know, need to be fair to him. Like he's, he was just coming off an injury. Um, I think it was an ankle injury. Yeah. I don't think they ever completely specified, but um, yeah, I mean, give, let, let's give everyone more than, you know, a, a four carries before we go jump into conclusions here to that point too, Jeremy, like the idea that Jamar Jefferson played, even though he had just suffered an injury earlier in the week, doesn't that kind of speak to the coaching staff wanting to see him on the field? Like regardless, it's like, I mean, maybe he felt some onus where he was like, all right, like I understand I'm a rookie. I'm RB three right now. I got to go out there and play because I mean, they don't have any NFL film on me yet. And I'm a seventh round draft pick. Yeah. Like, I mean, he was he was, you know, picks away from being another UDFA. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think if anything, um, actually, I don't know the I don't know the practice squad eligibility for Reynolds or Mills, but Jefferson, at least basically everyone is practice squad eligible now. Like the way they change the rules, literally everybody. (laughs) Okay, so that's at least a little if you're a Lions fan looking at the RB three and sweating a bit at the competition. That's a little bit comforting that probably two out of these three guys are going to stay in kind of the extended roster. We are, by the way, I should should have made a note for this off the top. We are recording this on a Monday. A Lions do drop, I think, five roster. They have to make five roster cuts on Tuesday. They've already PM. made three. They've already They've made already three. Made so three. there's only two more. OK, 
So this might be a little out of date by the time we're talking, but I don't think anyone we're talking about is going to be on the uh, on the on the roster cuts when we reach there. I don't think it's going to be someone who we haven't even talked about, like, I don't know, um, Darren Paulo or someone. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't really want to speculate because I, yeah. I don't know that that seems weird. But yeah, I'm just saying, like, it's not someone whose name we've called. Here. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break. I want to spend our last segment going in deep on the defense, because if I think there's any kind of warning lights here, it's coming from the defense. And I think but I think the the salve is that we haven't seen one half of the defense tested at all last game wasn't tested at all on Friday and it's got to be tested. Hopefully you see it tested coming up here on these other preseason games. We will talk about that next on the Friday Detroit POD cast entering the home stretch. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And closing up the show on the Pride of Detroit POD cast, uh, we haven't talked at all about defense yet from the game that was. And uh, I don't know where to really start, Jeremy, because it was not a great showing for the defense. Not that we really got to see them tested at all because it was Mitch Trubisky under center. And even then, that was Mitch kind of... Well, it wasn't the Mitch that would... He threw only twice. He only attempted two passes. The problem I have is that on doing any kind of analysis is we have to start up... We have to just basically be up front. All you really saw out of Buffalo was over the middle passes from Davis Webb and Jake Fromm. And you saw a lot of running attempts. There was, I think, uh, what, 29 carries in this game. There was no chance to observe the defensive backfield for the Detroit Lions. Yeah. So besides for some like, you know, packages that brought home, brought in the safety of the corner, we're just, we're just not sure what the backfield is right now. Yeah, and that was that was definitely a bit of a bummer because I think we were all we're all very eager to see what Aaron Glenn and, and Aubrey Pleasant have, have done to that room. And we keep talking about Jeff Okuda turning a corner and, and Will Harris turning a corner and, and Tracy Walker turning a corner. And we just we didn't get to see any of that kind of play out like Tracy Walker was the one person who was targeted and he gave up a, a you know, an eight yard pass, a nine yard pass was was a step behind on a on a tight end. But yeah, I think I think that's something that we're all just like really eager to see. And we were just kind of robbed of that opportunity because Trubisky either refused to throw the ball or I mean, we probably have to address the the elephant in the room. Buffalo was running the ball pretty darn well against the Lions early in that game. And there there are some, you know, mitigating factors. The fact that five of, of the Lions defensive tackles that they're kind of expected to, to make this team. Michael Brockers, Deshaun Hand, Nick Williams, Levi Onzerike, and John Penasini, all those guys didn't play. Um, so, so that I mean, that's obviously a big factor in stopping the run, but I think there's some current concern at the second level. I think there's concern at linebacker right now, and that's, uh, that's a problem that's not necessarily going to go away anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, on, on my second watch through, it really confirmed what I thought on the first watch through, and I thought the defensive line played pretty admirable. Like I, I, w- I was most impressed with the way that they played. 
because I think it was really on the linebackers in terms of run defense that just had a really, really poor day, uh, especially when you factor in the, you know, how much Davis Webb was running. You know, I, I think that the Lions look particularly vulnerable with a mobile quarterback, which is a little bit concerning. But at the same time, you know, they had Tavai out there and Collins and Anzalone only played 11 snaps. And, you know, Derek Barnes, Derek Barnes is a player that I'm most excited to watch in preseason game two because we got we got such a little taste. We got teased with Derek Barnes <laughs> because when he was out there for the eight plays, he was out there he made like two impact plays, like two plays that literally, I don't want to say they changed the game, but they, they definitely changed the drives that they were on for really? sure. Um, and I was really impressed with just his level of execution because he, here, here's the thing with like Tavai, which I, I think, I think it's important. I, I think it's a worthwhile discussion to talk about where he stands right now, because yeah. I know that the, the narrative and especially like Eric believes this and I'm not throwing him under the bus, but I think there's some the value to the idea that, the coaching staff really likes him. Yeah. But there's only so far that can take you when you continue to show your inability to, to execute and to, to read things instinctually. And I mean, that, that play where Devin Singletary scores is 100% on Tavai. Like that was Tavai's assignment. It was almost confirmed today that that was his assignment. And then you go see Derek Barnes. I mean, granted, yes. I mean, the coaching staff may have made a point about that because that misdirection, that that strong side showing, and then dump off to the guy who's leaking on the on the weak side. That happened in the Divide touchdown. Obviously had to have been a talking point because the Bills went back to it a couple times. And then finally, when Derek Barnes is in there, he makes an incredible play on it. So, like, I, I'm not even going to lessen how great of a play that was by Derek Barnes because, like, that's taking coaching and executing. And that's something that Tavai just, he, he hasn't really shown here in, in Detroit. Let me, we, yeah, I, I want to talk more about this Tavai stuff because, yeah, it's, it's another hot topic again um, after, you know, the, there's no sugarcoating. It was, it was an awful preseason game for him. I did see him make one really good play, but everything else was, was bad. And you're right. The, I, I think Dan Campbell tried to walk around, you know, it being Tavai's fault, but he... But Mark DeLeon, the linebackers coach, essentially confirmed it. And this is what he had to say about the plays. Like, there was that play in the game that's been talked about. I think I've got to do a better job putting him in a better position there on that play. So that's probably on me as much as on him. And he's talking directly about Jelani Tavai there. So he's admitting Jelani Tavai missed his assignment there. But you're right. I, I This coaching staff is talking about him like they absolutely love him. Mark DeLeon, I think he's in a really good position right now. I think he's at a really good camp. Dan Campbell says um, he's a smart guy. He really works at it. He puts out everything. He puts everything out that he has into it. I think there are certain things he does really well. He's really a hammer, particularly he's probably a first, second down inside linebacker. There are things he can do, and it's up to us to put him in the best situation to have success. Like these guys have raved about him from beginning to end and called it. He's done everything that they've wanted in terms of managing his weight. And it's tough because part of me wants to see this play out in its entirety because yeah, he had bad instincts. He he messed up that one rep, but this is also a new system for him and it's a new system for everyone. And I don't think the, that was the problems that he was having. La- like, I think this is a different problem than his problem last year was just that he was slow. He's slow. He, he can't play up to speed with guys. 50, 60 pounds less than he is. I mean, it's not physically possible. Now he might have that in his arsenal. I, you know, I certainly have my doubts, but this was just a mental error. And I don't think we saw, personally, I don't remember seeing a lot of mental errors from, from Tavai last year. And so I'm going to chalk this one up to maybe a new scheme, maybe, you know, working with players that he's just starting to work around because part of, I mean, Part of success on defense is knowing is the chemistry between players, right? Is knowing who's on your left, who's on your right. And when you're in training camp, you're rotating that constantly. So there was a miscommunication there. There was a breakdown. It was Tavai's fault. But considering I don't think that was emblematic of, of the problems that Tavai normally has, I want to see this at least play out for another preseason game or two. Like I see some people saying, cut him now. I think that's ridiculous. I think you got you to gotta, you gotta really give him a shot to win this or lose it. Tavai has struggled in coverage, I think, from day one. And that's the that's the alarming thing. And I know, Jeremy, like you can make the point that like he's trimmed down and everything. 
But when, especially that quote, like, yes, he can play on first and second down and he can maybe stop the run, but that's such a limited skill set. And it's, I mean, like you need to, you need to be able to cover in the NFL. Like that's why Derek Barnes is the thing that works. And that's why Matt Patricia's system failed. Like we we can, we can be honest about it. Like it was the second, it was the second line. It was the linebackers. And I want to see more Derek Barnes, more Derek Barnes. I'm with you on everything you just said. Big winner. He was Derek Barnes. I feel like was one of two big winners, and I'll get to the other one in a second. But Derek Barnes definitely shook off a lot of that Matt Patricia inflicted rust. I felt like he looked phenomenal out there. I mean, I hope he didn't have any Matt Patricia rust. He's a rookie. (laughs) I'm sorry. I meant I meant for (laughs) I meant for the whole unit. My bad. Um, (laughs) No, like I thought. I thought he looked. No, I mean looked fine. He. Uh, it's eight snaps, so we don't want to overreact. Like you know, yeah. like we're probably overreacting in the negative for Jelani, Jelani Devai. We're probably overreacting in the positive for Derek Barnes. We'll see. Again, you know, he's playing against third, fourth string guys as well. But yeah, there's there's nothing negative you can say about how how he played out there. It was it was everything we've, and, and I think that's probably why we're overreacting to it is because we just we haven't seen a linebacker make plays like that since DeAndre Levy. Yeah. Um, the other person I mentioned that I really wanted to talk about was, um, and I know he was hurt last year and we were kind of trying to figure out exactly what he was, but, um, I, I thought no one had a bigger night than probably Julian Okwara. And I know he's doing it against guys who are on the second string and, but he had a, he had an impressive beat. He he pulled an impressive beat on, uh, Spencer Brown, who was the third round pick, I think for the, for Buffalo, but I know we, we had talked about Spencer Brown on some of our draft shows like Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa was a fantastic prospect as far as uh, offensive talent and Okwara just dusted him. I mean, and, the, the yeah, thing about he, Spencer Brown, Chris, is that he was literally the highest rated athletic tackle, according to Kentley Platty's rap yeah, system perfect in, 10, the history, perfect in the history, in the history of tackles, the best. Yeah athletic measurables yeah. yeah yeah 10 10 you can't score higher than 10 so quara like beats beats him pretty well and just i think that i i had questions on whether or not Okwara would make the roster i think there's probably again we're overreacting after one of three preseason games but he's finally healthy he had 69 defense um 69 defensive snaps last year but this year i mean He's depth that I think this defensive line is probably going to need, considering that there isn't a lot of talent there once you get off the the, the starters. And I think Okwara is someone you look for as far as just someone you can bring in as a change of down or or just a a uh, just in case injuries come up. I think, I mean, you you saw his potential out there, and I, yeah. I like that. Uh, Jeremy, I I want you to kind of expand upon this because I think it's really telling that if a player doesn't play in a preseason game, I mean, wh- where are you at with that? Because Charles, Charles Harris, Harris, Charles yeah. Harris doesn't play at all. Julian O'Quara plays and has an absolute, you know, uh, he, he shines out as a pass rusher. Maybe, I mean, for a guy like Charles Harris, who was maybe slotted in as a pass rushing specialist. Now right. you got Julian O'Quara doing that. It's okay. So it, the thing about when a, a player doesn't play and it doesn't appear there's any sort of injury a, attached to it, and I believe Charles Harris was out there today at practice, so it doesn't seem um, like it was injury-related, it can mean one of two things. It could mean very, very bad things for that player, or it can mean very, very good things, which is, I, I you know, you see them both play out. The good thing is, like, they're like, okay, you're making the, the roster, you're a veteran, let's just keep you healthy. The Michael Brockers treatment. Sure. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. And it's it's in, Harris is an interesting situation because his his uh, his contract, one point seven five million fully guaranteed. Fully guaranteed. So it's going to cost him that whether he's on the team or not, um, which is not ideal if, if you're thinking about cutting him. Um, and, and so I listen, I think I think Julian Aquara is a lock for the roster. If Charles Harris is a lock for the roster, we might be done with the conversation here because then Austin Bryant is probably the odd man out unless they keep five. Um, but I, I'm not sure where we're at yet with Charles Harris because he hasn't really popped in, in training camp. And, you know, he, he's certainly not lived up to expectations as a former first round pick elsewhere. 
So if the Lions already have him as a lock-in, I'm not sure how they do that. And maybe maybe it's just contractual. Maybe it's just they don't want to burn $1.75 million on, on a guy that's not on the roster. Um, but I do think Julian Aquara helped himself. I do think we also have to acknowledge some of the shortcomings of his game. There was a couple times he was supposed to drop into coverage, and he did not do it very well. Um, wasn't very good in run defense. I mean, you look at his PFF grade overall, you, you'd be like, how is that possible for a guy that had eight pressures in one game? I think he was in the 50s wasn't very good. And so he still has a lot to do to to make himself a more well-rounded player, but like Chris said, I think his role this year is a rotational guy. Is a guy who might just be a third down pass rushing specialist and that's great. Like that's fine. That's what he's good at. And that yeah, would Yeah, if you got, if you got down in distance, you bring in you bring in Julian. Like but that's the, yeah. But the problem is one of your guys gets injured, what are you doing now? Is Charles Harris might be the more well-rounded player that can play the run, that can drop into coverage, that can also pass rush, than Julian Aquara, who's kind of just a pass rushing specialist right now. So it, it's kind of a, a, a tough balance for, for the Lions to to figure out. And I'm, I don't know where they're at with Charles Harris. It, it's very, very interesting that he didn't play on, uh, on Friday. And, and I think maybe that's a question we need to ask uh, Dan Campbell about. Yeah, I... The only the, the last thing that I want to really touch on is the secondary. And I know Chris said, you know, they, they went untested, which hopefully we can see some more of that in, in week two against the Steelers. But I, I thought know, it was Roethlisberger might throw some ducks, but we'll see. I think if he even plays, but either way, like you look at that wide receiver core for the Steelers, I think some of them will play. I think that's going to be, you know, that that I think the Steelers were at least test downfield. There was nobody on the field for the Bills where they're like, yeah, let's throw it downfield. And the Bills in general run the ball a lot, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically, I want to talk about a really interesting move that happened, you know, kind of out of nowhere. Bobby Price moving from safety to corner. Yeah. And if anybody stood out in terms of like making a play in the secondary, I mean, Bobby Price's, you know, pass breakup was was the play, um, which almost seems like that makes him a roster lock. Right, Jeremy, like special teams, <sighs> maybe some positional versatility. Yeah, I, I mean, I think just by special teams, he's probably in. I mean, the the down part of Bobby Price is that two plays later, he gives up a, a big fourth and 10 conversion that eventually leads to the game winning field goal. Um, mm-hmm. But he also, I mean, the safety on that side also completely blew it. Um, but yeah, th- there's just so much shifting going on at cornerback right now that it, it's it's kind of hard to keep your head on straight. Like, obviously, we, we didn't get to talk about this last time. Quentin Dunbar getting released. Suddenly the lines aren't very th- strong on the outside cornerback position. So maybe moving a guy to, like Bobby Price to the outside helps with that. And, and you know, is, is another spot where he can... Um, easily, easily win a roster spot. Then, but then you got Ifatu Malafonu still. You've got Mike Ford. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what their plan is with Mike Ford. At this point, it looks like it's both. They're training in both at nickel and at outside corner, which I guess is again like another special teams guy who's giving you versatility there. Um, but yeah, to me, I think Bobby Price is in. I know um, some some of the other beat guys don't necessarily think so yet, but it it, it does become a question of how many guys are you just keeping for special teams. And that that's a legitimate question, but also at the same time, like, are we sure that Jerry Jacobs offers more as a cornerback than Bobby Price? I don't know. I, I can't say for sure. What about AJ Parker? I don't know. I can't say for sure. Um, so I, I, th- I think I like this move for Bobby Price. They seem to like it. He's a super athletic guy. So um, he, I mean, he's basically intriguing no matter where you put him, but a guy who's as tall and, and and strong and speedy as Bobby Price, I think he could make it at corner. It's just we got to wait and see how it happens. But uh, but cer- certainly getting a pass breakup um, in the opener helps. One sentence for each of you. What do you want to see most out of preseason game two? Running. Oh, okay. Do you say one sentence or one word? He said one sentence. One but... sentence. One sentence. I just don't want you to go on. How about a like... phrase that we love here? <laughs> Establish the run. Establish the run. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I, I, I can see the car graphic in my head from primetime <laughs> oh, games. Monday Night Football. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> tested in coverage. Okay. Both, like both, line, both linebackers and secondary. I like it. 
we will look forward to that with the uh, with the next preseason game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We will have later this week. Are we going to have a first bite? I think Ryan's traveling this week. Um, I can still get a first bite in. Oh, you got a first bite in? Okay, cool. So we will have first bite this week and we will continue to have green room app after the game. We'll be taking your questions then and try to get in a podcast here probably on Sunday. We'll we'll have to see. We're trying to get to move this to Sunday to get ready for, for season activity and everything else. But we're closing up the POD cast. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been uh, fantastic. As always, we're closing in on another Lions season, which means uh, there's a special mask episode coming very soon. We'll see you star side. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.